Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to this podcast. Today, we are talking about ADD and ADHD. I get asked thousands of questions about this. I have been in this field for the last 30 years. In my clinical practice, I did a predominant area that I worked in was children with learning disabilities, as well as people with dementias and mind issues and so on. But a large proportion of my patients were children that had so-called learning disabilities. And I'm specifically saying the word learning disabilities as opposed to ADD and ADHD. Because ADD and ADHD, the terms, pretty much came about 30, 40 years ago. Before that, we always spoke about a person with a learning disability. Now, as we all know, every second person has ADD or ADHD. It's become almost like a, a, a something that people just say, oh, I've got ADD, oh, it's my ADD, oh, I've got ADHD. And not only are we seeing school-going children that are being labeled with this, but we're seeing babies of as young as two and three and even younger and even and adults up and to all ages. I mean, I have had people come up to me that are in their late 60s and 70s and 50s and 40s, all ages, telling me, oh, they have ADD, they have ADHD. What do I think of medication for ADD, ADHD? What do I think about ADHD? And I have to tell you that this has been a passion of mine. I have researched this intensively. I have worked with thousands and thousands of clients with the, the so-called problem of ADHD, ADD, and learning disability. And I'm going to unpack a lot of truths in the series of podcasts that I'm going to be doing on ADD and ADHD. Some of them might come as a shock to you. Some may you, you may already instinctively know. But it's also going to be a, a way where I'm going to give you practical tips to help you with if, you, if you've been labeled or if you have a child that's been labeled. Hopefully these tips and things will help you as well. And I'll be referring you to various different resources as well. So let's start by actually looking at what is ADHD and ADD. What are these things? Well, the most commonly cited theory is that it is hyperactivity. Um, well, let me, let me read you the most common definition. The most commonly cited theory is that hyperactivity is a lack of focus and impulsivity, and it results from some sort of dysfunction amongst chemicals and synapses in the brain. Now, I can say a million things about that definition, and all of them are critical. All of them are telling you that that's actually not correct at all. It's not scientific. And I'm going to drop a bomb. I'm going to tell you that ADD and ADHD are not scientific categories. There is no test to prove them. There is no biological basis. There's no blood test. It, people are simply labeled with ADD and ADHD based on an 18 question questionnaire. Now, when I was trained back 35 years ago, that is not how we were trained to identify someone with a learning disability. It was very, very in-depth training and very, very long and in-depth analysis to determine whether a person had a learning disability and whether it was what type of learning disability and what type of management was required. It was definitely not something that could be diagnosed by just observing a child in a classroom or by observing, um, filling in an 18 
18 question questionnaire or something like that in a few minutes. That is definitely not sufficient time to, to determine something as, as deep and as complex as a learning disability. We also have currently, for about probably the last 10 years and increasing, a tremendous over-referral of people who have supposed ADD and ADHD, whereas the research shows that only around about 2 to 17% of the population have a genuine learning disability, but we're getting a referral rate of up to 70% of people of all ages for ADD and ADHD. So there's a massive discrepancy between what science actually shows and what's actually happening out there in society. And that is a big concern for myself and for us in this field. A lot of scientists and a lot of therapists who work with work in this field will actually say that there's an ADHD hoax that's going on. So these are this is this is a big deal. So let's let's unpack this and let's start talking about a couple of these points. I want to go back to the definition where it talks about the most commonly cited theory is that is that it is hyperactivity. So let's take the word hyperactivity. Think of just when you were a child, running around, playing jumping on things, talking fast, talking to your friends, playing with your toys, running around with your dogs and your cats and being busy. That's normal part of childhood. Being active is a very normal part of childhood, a very important part of childhood. Allowing a child to crawl around when they're little, to explore, to be able to experience things, to be able to laugh loud. And these are not abnormal things. This is normal childhood. Childhood these are normal things about childhood. So that's the first thing. So hyperactivity, we need to distinguish between normal activity and hyperactivity. Obviously, we need to look at the, also the current classroom environment, which is very, very, very restrictive, where a child has to sit still, look and listen. And, and I'm going to cover in depth about how we learn and how we listen and how we think, all these kind of things we're going to cover cover in podcasts. But let's let's consider a fact that uh, consider the age of a child. The younger the child is, the more the child needs to move. And this is why it's very important that we allow children in at, at in school to be able to move around. Obviously as they're getting older, those they can sit still for longer periods of time. But what has been removed from the classroom and from the class, the day, a child's um, school day is a lot of regular breaks where they're allowed to go outside and run around. And so very often the breaks have been reduced to smaller, they're smaller, they're shorter. And these children are sitting still. They're not actually doing stuff. Children need to get outside. Children need to run around. Children need to breathe fresh air. They need to play in the grass. They need to be walking and moving quite regularly in between sitting down. No one can sit down for hours at a time and constantly concentrate concentrate and focus. And there's been very interesting research showing that by just reintroducing proper breaks for these children, having extended breaks, having more frequent breaks where these children are actually allowed to move around and bringing things like physical education where they are um, every day making physical education a, a part of every single day where every child maybe after first break or some somewhere in the day do some sort of physical education for 10 or 15 minutes bringing those kind of things back into the curriculum is very important 30 years ago and longer this was a natural part of it children had regular breaks where they were mo- encouraged to move a lot more than they are currently doing today and where physical education was done at almost three to five times a week. 
this has changed dramatically in the current school environment. And it's one of the first things is that the first things that is chopped out of a day is the, the regular breaks for children. They can't just sit all day in the class and then sit all day eating. I sit for, for um, in their break eating and then go back. They have to move. When a child moves, the brain changes. When a child, the brain is designed to respond to, to movement. The brain is designed to, the whole body is designed to respond to movement. We need to get the blood flowing to take toxins out of the brain and out of the cells and to increase the correct flow of oxygen and blood to the brain to increase and facilitate concentration and focus. So very often a child will have pent up energy when they're forced to sit still for hours hours at a time and then they just explode and they appear to be losing concentration and so on. Another huge thing with this hyperactivity, the word hyperactivity, is I'm not denying that there are some children who generally and adults that generally can't keep still. But that's perhaps maybe how they think and learn. And so when we talk about thinking and learning, this is also a huge deal. We have different, each and every one of us on this planet, and there's around about 8 billion of us, have our own thinking style. And it's not made up of just one type of thinking style you know very often people talk about learning styles learning styles theory which says that I learn through movement you learn through visual and audiovisual and movement or sound or touch are very often the most commonly cited learning styles but research actually shows that that's not scientific research shows that we process through seven different types of thinking that every single human on this planet has all seven different types of thinking and each of us use them differently and in order for you or me or your child to process information you have to think through all seven types of thinking and how you and they, they, there's a specific order that we think through each of us and some and, and the, the very first one for example is how you pay attention and the second one is how you start to focus and set etc and so there's a like a digestion process that is occurring and some people will actually pay pay attention by moving other people will pay attention by writing other people pay attention by looking away and kind of imagining it's different for every person but you can't just do one thing once you pay attention you immediately have to start doing the next step in your digestive process and the next step you have to go through seven like a cycle of seven in around about seven seconds in order for you to process what you're hearing and what we're having happen what's happening in the current education system is that we're not being allowed to work through those seven types of thinking in our own natural way and um, so those children that and adults that pay attention by moving even if it's just tapping their foot or wiggling their fingers or you know just shifting slightly in the chair they're not being allowed to do that so the very door opener to getting information in their head is being shut so the other seven parts of digesting the inf- six parts sorry of digesting the information are not allowed to happen correctly if you don't digest thinking if you don't digest information every seven seconds more or less in the correct way eventually you're going to lose your ability to process information well at all and it starts creating bad memory formation which starts creating toxicity in the brain which starts in- interfering with how a child's focusing and working in an environment how an adult's working in an environment so we just kind of have this boomerang effect so therefore when we look at hyperactivity we have to look at number one we have to look at what's normal for childhood secondly we have to look at people's learning how they process information through the seven types of thought we have to be able to acknowledge that we are all different and unique and those those are two very very practical ways 
um, and I'm going to refer you to a resource in a moment where you can find out more about this information. But you, these are two very, very practical ways of actually determining is someone genuinely hyperactive or have they got stuck in a system that is not allowing them to think properly and therefore their brain is filling up literally with toxic waste and they can't process so they seem to be manifesting with a learning disability but they actually don't we have to address these issues now there's many more issues we're going to be discussing but I just want to refer you to a resource where you can find out more about how your these seven types of thought I have an online app called the uh, the perfectly you and in that I have a, um, a lot of explanation of what I've just said in depth and there's an actual profile that you can fill in and it tells you how to analyze it and these videos and it's very very easy to follow it's you can find it at perfectlyyou.com and there you can learn about how your seven types of thought work together how you your unique seven types of thought that you use when you are thinking through and your children and everything I found this absolutely invaluable with my patients it was the first thing that I would do in my practice it's a tool that I developed that has um, different elements to it and it's a tool that I developed over 30 years ago based on my research it's very scientific very easy to apply I have different versions of it and this this one in the perfectlyyou.com online is very very simple and easy to use and a great way of starting to understand how you think and process information and helping you to understand what you need so let's say for example that your ability to pay attention is comes out as movement and your and the next thing to the, in the digestion process is your ability to focus you see as soon as we pay attention we then start focusing we pay attention we then focus and, and then we start building a temporary memory and there's seven things we go through just let's look at the first two let's say that you pay you pay attention through movement and you um, and then you focus the second part of your thinking through through visual um, that means that in order for you to really listen and hear and learn and benefit from that learning experience in the classroom you need to move in some way and very quickly directly after that you need to do something visual like maybe draw a picture now this is the kind of child who or person who in the classroom every couple of seconds seems to be doing a wiggle and then seems to be drawing or looking away and doing and not paying attention and this is typically the kind of child that would get referred to my practice and the comment from the teachers would be they keep wiggling they keep looking away it's very easy to see the first two of these seven. It's not easy to see the other five because they happen fast. And the first two are very in your face. And that's generally what people notice. And so people very often mislabel the um, the movement, like maybe a wiggle in the chair or maybe a clicking of the knuckles or maybe a clicking of the pen. You know, it's so different for every person. But there's a movement followed very quickly by looking away or starting to draw pictures or something on paper, making three little wiggles. And, and then the other five different types of thought would follow suit but those that may give the teacher the impression of a wiggly child who keeps looking away meanwhile they're not a wiggly child who keeps looking away and if you tell that so-called wiggly child to stop wiggling and to look at you you've just closed the door to information being processed correctly so you lose gosh sometimes up to 70 80 even 90 percent of what the teacher's trying to deliver so of course you're going to develop a learning disability because you're not actually processing what's coming in and not because you you're not able because you're not being allowed to process information in the way that you are designed to process information so what we need to to realize is that in in an ideal world 
we it may sound okay let me say it this way it may you may think well how on earth am I supposed to accommodate for 40 children in my class or if I'm a if you're running a corporate organization and you have 30 people under you how are you supposed to tune into all 30 people you don't actually have to the way that this works is that if you are being true to how you think and each person is being is is being true to how they think so we all understand our profiles in other words our thinking profile that what will happen is that we naturally operate in a very tolerant way so we actually learn to listen to each other more effectively each person is listening according to how they listen so I would advise patients parents teachers of children that had been referred to me for so-called ADD which when I assessed them they did not have well it doesn't exist in the first place they they were having learning problems and I would always rule out the fact that have we evaluated how they're processing information and if they tell me if they told me they wiggly and draw pictures I would say okay well according to their profile that's how they're going to pay attention so maybe put them on a, a, a one of those exercise balls instead of a chair you can put your child on an exercise ball those balls that they use for pilates or the various different um, exercises and instead of a chair they sit on that and they just rock gently and that gentle rocking is phenomenal in stimulating a part of the brain called the cerebellum which then stimulates the rest of the brain and that movement that that child is desiring or that person is desiring in order to focus and concentrate is now naturally happening or you could give them that that's one extreme you could give them a little a little um, squishy rubberized thing that they could squish in their hand or you could tell them to take off their shoes and they could tap their foot so the tapping doesn't irritate the person next to them you there are a million different ways and I and I give a lot of information on this in in um, in my books as well um, in my book called the perfect you which goes along with the with the perfectly you online app I give a lot of examples of how to to um, apply this um, ideas for wiggling in a classroom or wiggling in the work environment in ways that stimulate your brain correctly. I also have a series called Switch on Your Brain with a five-step learning process where there's a short version of this profile to help you understand how you think plus lots of ideas and examples of how to use this in a day-to-day environment. That's all for today. In the next episode, we will continue this discussion on ADD and ADHD. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Caroline Leith.